0: Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard.
1: Austin, still up here in Utah doing some podcasts with some of our fantastic clinicians
2: again, forcing people to uh,
1: she to is, show up. I think is reluctant a uh, too gentle of a word for our next speaker.
2: I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But then she's gonna end up being the best one. That's she how will it always be. happens.
1: She will be, yeah. Just she's she's putting the spurs to that, trying to get out
2: of here. Yeah. I get it. This is a weird thing, man. Talking into a mic is a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: I'm really excited about this because we're going to talk about some things that uh, I think are, that our listeners are really going to love, and and so without uh, you know any more pause on it and giving her a hard time, Jackie Nielsen, one of the clinicians with uh, Chateau. Welcome to the No One Fights Alone podcast. Thank you. So, give us a little bit, uh, just a little bit of uh, kind of what your uh, what your role is at Chateau, what you do, just a just a little overview <laughs> as we can, and then we'll kind of dive into some some uh, some of the topics we have in front of us.
3: Okay. I'm one of the counselors, therapists, whatever you want to call me. Been here since 2014 uh, with a two-year, I was gone for two years and on the Navajo reservation. I am one of the clinicians. I do the EMDR. I am a trauma therapist, like licensed in that. So
1: talk a little bit more about that. So you're trauma. Yes. Informed, trauma trained, trauma counselor. Yes. So what is what is it that makes you unique? How do you, do you see people in a different light? Do you take different assessments? Do you, is it formal, informal? Do you just have a different set of lens you look through? Let's talk a little bit about that from a trauma standpoint.
3: Probably the lens. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously I had to be go, I'm trained, sure, certified, right? But, um, and because we we focus on trauma with PTSD and first responders, not that we don't have others. Everyone has some kind of trauma, whether it's a little t or a big t. I don't really like those. We don't, if you're in the trauma world, they don't like you using those words. But um, it's understanding that because of how we were raised and the experiences we've had, that is how we see life. And if you understand that some of that might be trauma oriented, or yeah, you will see why you're doing what you're doing, right? right. So if we're working for first responders with PTSD or something like that, we want to look at their childhood first to see what kind of coping skills did they go into this work with or lack of.
2: Well, I think it's one of those things where, and tell me if I'm wrong, right, where if if you bring someone in a new client first day, right, mm-hmm. they're going to start saying, well, I know that my trauma surrounds just work. Mm-hmm. Everything else was fine they're not expecting in any way shape or form to even approach that childhood conversation
0: mm-hmm. that's very true and
2: so what's that what's that look like what does that conversation look like because it's it's something so far away from what they expected
3: mm-hmm.
2: and they're probably resistant
3: so what's really nice is when they first come in and have to do an assessment what do we talk about we start with what a childhood look like mm-hmm. we do something called the aces which is adverse childhood's experiences right and look at the scores and it's very very typical for them to say I had a great childhood but when I ask specific things okay well when we start out asking about neglect or any kind of domestic violence or sexual abuse pretty soon pretty soon things start to come out right and sometimes they won't come out in the assessment but as I'm listening I'm like you hear pauses or you hear underreporting, or you hear well you know I was spanked So I will ask, okay, what was spanking? And then I I tend to find out that, no, they were beat or they were this. So I don't – it also depends on their age. That makes a huge difference. Culturally, where are you coming from? The older older guys – well, I should say women and men, if they are older, especially over about 50, culturally they were raised very differently. So getting spanked or hit or – whatever is very normal so I will ask a few more questions a little more details of what that look like and if you were just spanked and stuff then that's fine but what did you take away from it so PTSD is based on an event your emotion to the event and the belief that you're bringing from it or taking from it sometimes the beliefs are healthy like sometimes it's okay but sometimes I'd say most of the time they're toxic And this is where this stuff of I am bad or I am worthless or I'm a piece of crap or whatever, right, starts to come up. And once that starts in childhood, if someone doesn't intentionally go in and fix that, that is how we are raised. Mm -hmm. A lot of first responders become first responders because no one rescued them from their childhood or they want to be helping or someone did step in and help them. So they want to help. Or they want to do just the opposite of their parents, or they want to do something that they're, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. there's a there's right? a lot of research I think, uh, and I forget the numbers. I'm not a I'm not a data guy, but there's some some numbers that correlate with mm-hmm. first responders having uh, a lot of adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. and going into it because of their wanting to help or heal yes. others. Is that fair?
3: Oh, very much so. Yeah,
2: so yeah. you see that a lot. A lot. What's well, yeah. a crazy? The, yeah. I think it was. Uh, like twenty or f- it was either twenty or forty percent were actually abused sexually yeah. as children, which yeah, is really a, like an incredibly high amount yeah. comparatively when you're looking at the population mm-hmm. like and that's just we're not talking about physical well, and, it,
1: and it was surprisingly high with men i i don't, yeah. again I don't remember the numbers but i was I remember being surprised at the number of men
0: mm-hmm. that
1: you don't normally think that but you kind of step back I remember thinking wow mentally stepping back going, wow, I had no idea
0: yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't think we're raised in a culture where, I mean, how many times have you been? This is the first time I've ever told someone that this has happened to me mm-hmm. before, right? And they're 50 mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe 40 around that area. And it just, how how do you expect to grow up and be functioning if you've had that deep, dark secret? And I think a lot of PTSD is surrounding that as well, right? Like, these, a lot of people have these deep, dark, Secrets of something that happened to them That they haven't told anyone Yes, Just kind of eaten away right. Year after year right. after year yeah. And it, it wasn't their fault That's not what I'm saying These deep dark secrets It's just stuff that has happened in their life They've never talked about
0: mm-hmm. yes. But
1: this being a, an environment Where it caters to that person Who's maybe life has fallen apart You see that a lot There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of uh, You know correlation between what's going on childhood you know and and really something you said a while ago resonates with me because you that's where you took me when I was here uh I thought naively walking in thought yeah I've I've got these I've got a big old bucket full of big t trauma you know not supposed to say the big t little t but the big t trauma and sure enough you took me right back to uh, something that was very impactful that I didn't realize was so impactful to my childhood. And I was, you know, we EMDR'd that. And I know we're going to talk about EMDR in a little bit, but we mdr would that. And you yelled at me a little bit. And <laughs> it was awesome. It was
2: amazing.
0: It's true, though. Well, I think,
2: true. I think that's part of, we talked about it right before you came on, is just why you enjoy working with this population a little bit more. Like, you've worked with just about every mm-hmm. population, haven't you? Yes.
3: So. I can't think of one that I haven't.
2: Yeah, like just talking about how you worked on it in, um, oh gosh, and you just talked about it. Um, was it Navajo? Or? May, just, oh, yeah, I was on the reservation in... for two yeah, years. Reservation yeah. for totally different mm-hmm. group of people, different traumas, culture. Every, yeah, culture, everything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Like, What do you like about working with first responders that, that vibes with how you approach things?
3: Because I am direct. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. yes, and I you can are. be
3: direct. Yeah. But in fact, it doesn't work if you're not really direct. Yeah. I also. Um, I think that people are, can be intimidated by whether men or women, uh, they very in an authority and, mm-hmm. and I'm not intimidated. I'm too old to be intimidated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I loved, I remember it really, uh, I don't know if loved is the right word, appreciated, <laughs> maybe is a better word. I appreciated that, the honesty and sen- sincerity and directness of it. Uh, and quite frankly, I mean, it was, it was an in your face. Here's what's up. and, Man, that was that was refreshing because I've been in a lot of therapy seats and like, can we just get somewhere already? Mm-hmm. You know? Well,
3: so my philosophy is if you're coming here, let's get it done. Some people are staying 30 days, 45, 60, like, right? A lot just between 30 and 45. And it's like, let's get the work done. That's like the EMDR. I don't do the EMDR like you're supposed to in the sense of <clears throat> building safety and doing all. There's There's a whole bunch of phases you go through. But I can't take two or three weeks to prep you for it. So we just jump in. And the really wonderful thing about being in a in a residential, is that you can fall apart when you fall out when you leave my office. You have all the support to say, oh my gosh, I just had this intense thing, and you can totally fall apart and still be safe. And I really that's what I like about being in a residential, is that we can do really hard work. You can walk out the door. Sometimes you have to go for a walk. Sometimes you fall apart. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you go to sleep, but you're in a place where I don't have to. I don't have to worry about your safety because you are surrounded controlled
1: environment. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, I and I think that that's shared. Uh, I know we've had uh, Doctor Trevor Wilkins angry Viking on, and, and I've actually seen him perform EMDR in a very dynamic uh, process. That you know the philosophy of you have to wait two weeks or a month or. You know, I've heard one uh, facility waiting 60 days before they engaged in EMDR. I really appreciate, because I, I value the EMDR process just from a layman uh, standpoint. And watching, you know, angry Vikings say, no, nah, we're not waiting on this. You're You're so out of balance. Mm-hmm. Let's go right now. Mm-hmm. And they went to a room right then. And the testimony of the guy coming back was, what just happened?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, he went from a 10 to a 5, like that. And it was amazing. It wasn't this. Let's sit down and talk. It's like,
2: let's get you regulated in a hurry.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Give us a rundown of EMDR.
3: Rundown of EMDR. So, this is this is the hard part. So, there's a big, huge neurological thing while you're doing it. <clears throat> while you're doing it, but I think the easiest thing to talk about. One of the things. So, Francine Shapiro. This is her baby. And one of the things she talks about is imagine a wound that you have and you let it heal up, but you don't realize there's a thorn or something in it, right? So you have to get that thorn out. Some of them will work their way up and sometimes we have to cut it back open and get it out and then let it heal. Mm -hmm. EMDR is very typical too when we're asleep and we're doing our processing. You look at someone who's asleep and you see their eyes moving. So we know there's something, a bilateral stimulation that is very important, whether you're doing brain spotting, EMDR, ART, whatever when you're doing processing there's this bilateral stimulation that's happening they'll say well we're trying to connect both sides of the brain no what you're really doing is connecting conscious with unconscious you're reopening this wound to go okay what's in there we want to make something whole so the thing about ptsd mdr trauma all of that the one thing to understand trauma is an event it's not an event Stop. Trauma is not an event. It's our response to an event,
0: Mm -hmm.
3: right? We can have the same event. You might walk away just fine and I fall apart because it's not the event. It's our response. Okay. So what happens is we're in fight, flight, or freeze. And when we're in fight, flight, or freeze, the message doesn't go to the file system like it's supposed to. It ends up frozen, whether it's in the wrong file or on the floor. So EMDR takes it and makes it what I call whole. This is Jackie's EMDR, by the way. Yeah,
2: that's what I love. <laughs> we love Jackie's love EMDR.
3: <laughs> But we're making something whole. We're going and looking at it. Because what happens is an event happens, we have an emotion to it, and then we walk away with a belief. One of the biggest things I find with our first responders is that helpless feeling. Mm-hmm. Or, right, you feel helpless and you don't feel helpless as a first responder because you're going in, you are trained to do whatever, whether it's medical, firefighter, police officer, right, whatever, doctor, nurse, all of it, right? Dispatchers, right? You're all, everybody is trained to do what it is. So anytime that helpless thing comes up, that's a problem because now you're telling yourself you did something wrong. You have this toxic belief that starts to haunt you, right? But with EMDR, we want to try to go to the origins of whatever. So we may start with the work trauma, but we may end up because mm-hmm. you were three years old, something happened. And that's where the actual toxic belief happened. And now you've carried that through. So EMDR makes it whole. We look at it. This is the origins. This is why you think this way. This is what the emotion was. You also find out that the emotion you had during the work thing had nothing to do with work. It was the three-year-old came up, popped up, felt this, right? Right so we're making it whole we're looking at the event we're looking at the emotion you had and we're tr- we're challenging the toxic belief when it's something worse like sexual abuse or some kind of predator hurting you we can do reprocessing i love i ask clients i'm like you want to smack him you want to take a bat to your predator right or to your perpetrator and we can imagine doing that kind of reprocessing that piece so we're just taking it and you're seeing it from all these directions and then if we're working with someone who has been hurt, maybe their mom, maybe their dad was raping them. Can I say that on? Oh yeah, sure. Um, Or whatever. One of the processes that we get to sometimes is an empathy piece, where we're never forgiving the person for the actual behavior, but you start asking yourself, what happened to him that he did this to you or she did this to you or whatever? So there's just this huge wholeness to the picture. You realize it has nothing to do with you, it's an event that may have happened to you, right? And you're just, you're healing that. You get whatever, you get the sliver, the thorn, whatever, out of your finger and it and it begins to heal. There may be a scar, but what's really cool is when the we can pull up the memory and have no emotional response anymore. So we're desensitizing, right? I EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and or reprocessing. So sometimes we reprocess. I find that sexual abuse needs a lot more reprocessing than some of these other things that happened we're just desensitizing them. With first responders who really haven't had a lot of issues with childhood, I um, sometimes we're just taking the graphic piece of that and just um, changing that. Not changing, but seeing it as whole, right? That you witnessed it, but it didn't happen to you. There's so many, so much vicarious stuff that happens with yeah. first responders, right? Or we're witnessing so much. Sometimes witnessing things can be worse. Than actually having it happen, or if you are hearing something, right? You're hearing something. It's happening in the other room. This happens with kids and stuff a lot. They can hear the violence, so their brain is really making up a lot of crap, and it actually can be a worse trauma than actually witnessing it.
1: Wow, is that uh, is there a correlation there between uh, auditory connection to communications dispatch? Is that you see that or just?
3: No, that's a good question. I... Yes, yeah, because our Depending on how we were raised and the mm-hmm. coping skills we do or don't have, we can imagine it so much worse than it is. So think of dispatch hearing something, right? And the, their brains and heads are going mm-hmm. all over the place. But again, the more coping skills we have as a child, the more coping we have as an adult. The less, obviously, the less. And then the bad thing about, PT or the, about our first responders is the suck it up mentality. Mm-hmm. So do I think it takes a special brain and heart to do first responder. Yes. Could I do it? No, (laughs) I couldn't do it. I couldn't. So I think there's, there's a a special mind and brain that, you know, all of it, I think they're, they're gifted. Right. But the problem is, is all of our bodies work the same, whether we're male or female, the way our body is to set up with emotions and toxic beliefs, they're the same. Mm. So to tell first responders, suck it up where you don't belong or military, like if you can't handle it, get out. That's not true. Because it's, it's normal to have an emotional response to the stuff that you see or the stuff that you actually you know, experience. And so to understand that you should talk about what happened, how you felt, and what you're telling yourself as you walk away, that does not make you weak, right? And the more you process an event, what if someone shoots at you? That's like terrifying. Or what if you've had to shoot someone? It doesn't matter how much you're trained. When you actually take someone's life, you are not prepared for that right you're not prepared to hear the bullet go past you you're not prepared to see the crushed skull in the in the car you know whatever it is you're not prepared to walk into domestic violence or children that have been hurt but you're told to suck it up if you can't handle this and that's just mm-mm. you have to you can process by yourself but it's really nice to say this is what happened. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm taking away. Like, this is the belief that I'm taking away. And to be able to bounce that off someone and know that, no, this is courageous. This isn't weak.
1: Well, I think there's a, so in our podcast, we normalize a lot of this uh, mental health and and, uh, therapy uh, to try to, you know, try to humanize the fact that First responders are special. I love the advocacy for and, and your passions coming through for the first responders and veterans. But the, you know, what we try to accomplish here is normalizing that, and I love the message that you're giving for that. And, but if I were to ask you ask you a maybe a little bit of a devil's advocate question, <laughs> yes. because because I think there would be some fear and trepidation. A portion of what you just gave us was, uh, you know, a first responder coming in there saying, oh. I didn't think I was coming in here for this childhood shit. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. But yet you're advocating saying, hey, let's look at the whole because this could be the origin. Am I correct? And mm-hmm. this could be the origin of what's really causing you to come off the rails a little bit or your life derailing a little bit. Is that mm-hmm. is that fair? Yes. So that fear and trepidation, um, if I were to if I were to be a mock client and say, You know, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't, you know, I'm just here for the, the dead body, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. just here for the, you know, for the shooting incident. I'm just here for the, you know, what do you tell people? How do you, how do you engage them in that? So
3: that's fine. We'll start there. We will start, absolutely start there. Talk about it. But inevitably an emotion comes up or something starts to happen. And I'm like, and then we just quietly or carefully lead them back to the origins of where that came from. It always does. Now, can they come into, whether it's EMDR, brain spotting, or ART, or whatever these processes are, and just focus on that? You betcha. Sure. Absolutely. But as they heal from that, and they're like, well, let's try this, let's try this, it eventually all goes back. Wow. You can't not help it. Now, do do we have people who have walls and blocks and they refuse to go there? Sure. And that's okay, because it's your journey. You get to. But... What happens is this stuff gets brought up in groups, also, or other clients are talking about it, mm-hmm. and so then pretty soon everyone's like, mm, "Maybe there's something here." But if I had clients who refused to go back, sure.
1: I distinctly remember you <laughs> cussing at me, saying <laughs> something similar. I, I mean, it was fair. It was, and and part of that's the cultural competency of knowing, understanding first responders as well, saying, "Hey, I'm going to put this in your face, and then it's your decision." That's what I felt. I mean, it's I see mm-hmm. you. And you're full of shit that's, that's, <laughs> that's what I That was the message I got In When I was in your office And it was awesome It's amazing
2: Yeah but you also get the kickback of like mm, Fuck you right? <laughs> Like that's Let's be real Like that That's gonna happen too
1: Well I tried that I I didn't say that to her But I I remember pushing but back But you thought think, it Is uh, that what you're saying oh, I, I was pissed yeah. I was pissed yeah. Like are you, Of course Seriously That you're Therapy I'm in a therapy session And you're cussing at me I mean you This is where we're going. I love this and I hate this at the same time.
4: Yeah.
3: Oh, I've been told all kinds of things. Yeah.
4: No, I love it. The No One Fights Alone podcast is excited to announce the launch of our new merchandise line. Now you can show your support for our mission by purchasing one of our hats, shirts, or hoodies. Our merchandise not only represents our brand and message, but also supports a great cause. A portion of all proceeds will go towards helping individuals and families affected by mental health. Wearing our merchandise not only spreads awareness for our podcast, but also serves as a reminder that no one has to fight alone. Join us in showing your support and spreading the message of hope and community by purchasing one of our No One Fights Alone items today from our website, nofapodcast.com, nofapodcast.com.
1: Going back to the the conversation piece, we, we vetted out a little road there on MDR. If we go back to this mm. uh, kind of working in this culture, because we were talking, we were having a great discussion on like the childhood. I want to revisit that, these uh, adverse childhood experiences and see if if we've kind of ran that out uh, in any way, because I think that, you know, we were talking about the research numbers, the data saying, hey, there's a lot in our culture. So let's go back to that from just a standpoint of, you see that you use MDR with it, uh, what are maybe some other methods or things that you see through your experience that are connected to maybe another aha, hey, by the way, this is a good conversation piece
2: uh, in dealing with well, some of Aces, ACES talks about it already. Like we already know it's been, what, 80s it was put together, something like that, right?
3: It's, it's early what? 80s.
2: Yeah, but it's, it's already been talked about. So you talked about ACES, but it's basically, you know, were you safe? Did your parents abuse you? Did you have food? Did you have shelter?
3: Right okay. so it's looking at neglect domestic violence sexual and um, physical abuse yeah. and it's so it was meant for the medical field it was meant to have, to catch things with children mm-hmm. before it turned mm-hmm. into something worse we just use it for us to look at oh what did your childhood look like and how is that really revealing in your adulthood now that you're acting this way or doing these things or
2: yeah, but it also is like, I think it's if you score six or higher, you are 70% more likely to struggle with either depression, anxiety, or substance use in mm-hmm. your adulthood.
3: Yeah, there's a whole bunch. So it depends on which research you look yeah, at. Yeah,
2: that's very true. No, no. Yeah. That,
3: and that's why I don't like numbers a lot because you look at some say six, four, some say six, some say seven. So they sure. say all a whole bunch of things. But yes, yes, because think about it. When things are happening as a kid and there is no one there to process it. So so you can grow up in a in a really terrible environment, but if you have some pseudo parent or a teacher or anyone that's out there and they're aiding you and like knowing that here's someone safe, you know, and and helping you heal, then you're going to do better. But people who had nobody, right, they're going to be They're going to do less.
2: It's a resiliency factor. It is
3: totally resiliency. So one of the
1: things that we had talked about before we started uh, the podcast itself was this inner child work, which that's that's what we're talking about. Is that fair? I mean, we're we're a bit yes. Well, we're
3: talking about. So inner childhood is understanding that when a when something happened, you have little frozen memories, mm-hmm. right? So you're supposed to your brain is supposed to work with the amygdala and the hippocampus and go to the frontal cortex, but in survival it doesn't make it to the frontal cortex because okay. the frontal cortex shuts down. So we have these little frozen ages with emotions inside of us. So inner child work is what we call uh, they call it parts work, but it's it's finding compassion and love for these different ages and validating how they feel and what they went through but allowing them to heal. It's literally looking in the if I was doing inner child work, I would first stand in front of a mirror and collect my my kids, right? My littles is what I call them. And stand in front of a mirror and go, "Hey guys, I'm 61 years old. You're 61 years old. I'm all grown up now, right? You do not have to pop up and protect me when you are triggered or activated." And all these emotions come up. And so that's like where you start. But it's taking each age and each event. I know it sounds really weird, huh? Well, I yeah,
1: everything in me just starts like yeah. this is this is icky. No you know? I,
2: but the reality is it's it's
1: an amazing process.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, when I did my inner child work, I think uh I was twenty five, they had me carry around a toy mm-hmm. that I grew up with mm-hmm. for uh Two weeks. And I was, like, not allowed to go anywhere without it. (laughs) I know Jackie doesn't do that, but...
3: Well, I would if I could. Yeah. I can tell you what I do instead. So we had someone here recently who did a lot of parts work, as we'll call it. And uh, this is the thing that I find. It's a very uncomfortable subject, and we don't want to think that we fit. You don't have to have tons of trauma to have parts work. So I'll give you an example. You can be a little kid who is running hits the desk and something like falls on your head or something and your, your parents do everything right. You know, like whatever. It's like the computer hits you on the head. I'll tell Mm -hmm. you, my son pulled the TV on him when he was about 18 months old. Right. Right? And we think as a parent, of course, I took him to the doctor and made sure everything's okay, but I never like processed it. And so he may grow up with this incredible fear or something. So it doesn't have to be this terrible thing, but this thing is like haunting him. Right. So when we talk about parts work, We're usually talking about trauma, we can be talking about that. This is an event that happened that was never processed. So, none of us want to accept that we have frozen little memories. And if it sounds weird, I'm like, oh, it's your two year old up, right? We don't, it feels very uncomfortable. But when we understand that as we grow, we have all these experiences, if there wasn't someone there to help us process whatever it was, it gets stuck. And then when things continue, toxic beliefs right? They start to grow and we believe them. Even though we hate them, we hate that we feel worthless, right? But it becomes so familiar that we will keep forcing that to happen in our life because that's what we're familiar with. So these little parts have to heal, right? So the problem is as an adult, we look at them and they're like, why didn't you tell somebody? We have no compassion or love for our little guys. We forget that we are innocent children and we were victimized, Right? So I like people to get pictures. I want mm-hmm. them to get a picture if they can. But the one client that we had, I told this client, go home and buy your little ones Christmas presents. Yeah. And that's what she's going to do. She's going home to buy Christmas presents for her littles. And they, because she is healing and she already knows what she's going to get. And she's very excited. Well, was that
2: like a. Did that surround? I don't want to break any HIPAA stuff no. or anything, but that was because Christmas is traumatizing for her no, as a child. Be, or be,
3: no, it wasn't about Christmas. It's that she was just didn't have a good childhood and never never got what she needed, and this is her giving her littles what they need. Got it. They d-
2: yeah, simple as so that. Theory, right. I went too deep into that. Like, so in theory, it's just there. being yeah. kind to yourself and mm-hmm. and. In-
3: mm-hmm.
1: In whatever age category.
3: Whatever it is. And you don't know, sometimes carrying the toy or buying the Christmas present makes all the difference. And then sometimes we don't have to. One of the biggest things, though, is to have compassion for yourself. Stop getting mad at yourself. We have, especially in sexual abuse, it's like, why did not you tell someone? I'm like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) You're a little kid. Yeah. Right? And so the adult you needs to learn to have compassion and love. And that's when the healing happens. You have to you have to see them and hear them for the ages that they were and the the events the emotions right, but we're adults. And it's like why didn't you do this? And uh, yeah, but that's not fair. Even up to our twenties, right? We're dumbasses.
2: <laughs> well, that's all prefrontal cortex <laughs> sure. stuff too, yeah. right? And it's like not there in yeah. survival. Yeah, so yeah. your whole thing is messed up. And, and I, yeah, you live in it
3: forever. Mm-hmm. When well, there's many people who have reached out for help and they were rejected, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah whether by their parents. And unfortunately I hear stories about police officers kind of blowing them off and stuff. And that's a terrible thing to say when we're talking about, sure. I don't think that happens a lot, but yeah. <clears throat> so everyone has parts.
1: Well, I don't think anybody take offense to that. Cause we've been very, very conscientious. We're talking about first responders, but we're talking about them as we're humanizing yep. them now. Right. Yeah. They're, they're real people too.
3: Well, we now have mistakes and think about it. That's one of the problems, Right is we begin to numb as a first responder after a while. You have to. You have to start to numb to be able to handle some of the stuff that you experience or see. And so, unfortunately, if we're numbing, we can't take one emotion and try to get rid of it. All emotions are numbed. And Mm -hmm. and we think emotions are bad or good, and they're not. They are just a guide. But we don't like feeling them. So if we're numbing, we're numbing everything. So when you go to a call, you know, that's terrible. It's It's not abnormal to numb. And, and I'm not a first responder, but I hear the same story. Children's things are Mm, so painful, right? Yeah, for sure. And those are times where you feel helpless, right? Because you can go in and do something, but a lot of times the kids are going right back. And so, of course, you're numb. It's like, what are you supposed to do? But that's the problem, right? So, So there's this balance of emotions. When you say numb... Mm-hmm. Go
2: in, Go into what that looks like.
3: Well, I think when you've seen something over and over and over and you haven't taken care of yourself, numbing is a really good way to try to stay safe.
2: But is so, that substance use? Is that oh, pills yep. or yep. is it just Keep checking going. out depression, Keep anxiety, social oh, media, pornography? Yeah. yeah, all <laughs> yeah. of it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you're seeing that more and more with most people, right?
3: Um, I think so. Yes. I mean, I'm... I don't I don't know if I can say that fairly because we are a residential that is dual diagnosis. So Mm -hmm. I have to. Yeah. Um, But I don't. Yeah. Alcohol, I think, is. You come home and you just like, think about it. Beer commercials are the very best because you hear that of the can and it's so much fun and I'm going to watch the game or I'm going to hang out with my friends. I don't think one beer is going to do anything. But the problem is, is you can't just, you don't stay there. We don't want to go home and do the work of transitioning from work, from work back home, doing a transition or 15-minute drive or whatever. Mm -hmm. We just want an immediate, I want to feel better.
2: Yeah, but we've been together here for five years, which is crazy, Mm -hmm. right? It's really weird to think. There has been a massive increase in what I guess we would call mental health only, right, which is suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety,
0: mm-hmm.
2: no, quote, and I say that in quotations, right? No substance use. Like mm-hmm. that, there's a massive increase. Yes. Like, what are you seeing as a thing that's, is it just treatment is normalized now or humanized or are people just, they're losing it more?
3: <laughs> that's a really good question. I do think it's the stigma is becoming less. I also think that, um, I think our residential is unique because there you you can't go to a mental health there aren't very many just plain mental health residential yeah. places, right? Psych so, wards. <clears throat> yeah, which all you do at a psych ward is they, you know, they fill you up with drugs and and send you home and make sure your guns are put away or gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Dr. Pepper's coming up. But um I think I think we're seeing partly because of the normal. I think COVID um, and the way COVID was treated has um, this, yeah. I think it messed with people's we've brains. Talked, we've
2: talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. If you think about
1: but, but, but Okay. So I want to hear. No, you don't.
3: It's political.
1: <laughs> okay. Barring barring political. I mean, you know, more more professional and clinical. Mm-hmm. What have you seen? Different...
3: Well, when you separate people, that's a problem. There are many people that died, their grandparents died and they didn't get to see them. Mm-hmm. There are... Um, Spouses. Yep. yeah, Which is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So we, the most important thing is connection. Connection is where we heal. In substance too, right? Mm-hmm. It's we were your just community. We talking about this
1: lonely piece. Yeah, yeah. Being alone.
3: And so, yeah, COVID did tons of damage. Tons and tons of damage because you weren't... You were alone. So. so the
1: correlation with that is we, whatever mental health space we may have been in, uh, you know, it's probably been worsened by some of the separation or mm-hmm. disconnect. Maybe a better word mm-hmm. uh, over the last couple of years.
3: Very much is that so. Fair. Yeah. yeah. And what's what I find fascinating is you, you couldn't go to the store, but you could call the liquor store and have liquor delivered. Did you know that? Mm.
2: Yeah. In a lot of places. That was considered. Yeah. Yeah. So California, Washington, Oregon, like mm-hmm. a lot of those places where they were a little bit more strict than Oklahoma or Utah. Yeah. My I mean, my sister in Colorado was getting booze delivered. Yeah.
1: Well, I know we talk about yeah. uh liquor a lot and that's normally the the numbing topic of choice. Sure. The preferred numbing method. Yeah. But also social media, which is a false sense of connection. <coughs> yes. We talked about that the other day. Yeah. Yes. That this social media piece of
3: there's no the, connection whatsoever. There,
1: there's, yes, it's it's well, so it's false. Fake it's so shallow. It's mm-hmm. it's looking at somebody else and it's their
2: best view and it's probably not true
0: oh, of who they yeah. are. Mm-hmm.
1: But know.
2: people think it's actual connection. That's sure. the thing. They they misinterpret it as that being their connection piece because yes. there are a message away from somebody or a mm-hmm. picture away of seeing what they did today or whatever. There's no actual human interaction, but yeah. But it's hitting that dopamine. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And
3: the like thing, like just like programmed you to. Yeah, people are doing things that they would never do. That's that's the big thing is I think social media so I can't speak. Social media has messed with our value system. And when you don't realize it, right? Is that you are doing things that you would never do and healing is all about who am I? How am I going to choose to treat myself? How am I going to choose to treat others? Right? Our value system is how we heal.
1: Wow, that's a fascinating topic right there. Yeah, but values that, is huge. Yeah. So I mean, it messes with our value system in that it becomes skewed to the point of now we're, we're interacting in a negative fashion with our values.
3: We're compromising them. Yeah. So if you think of values, again, we're talking healthy and unhealthy. So there are times I might choose to lie or keep secrets or manipulate, yeah. which is a value. Yeah. But what are the consequences of that? And they suck. Right? Whereas, FM choosing to be respectful or kind or generous, the consequences of that are very, very different. And that's one thing I'm I'm big on. Well, then then it goes into
2: the shame portion Mm -hmm. of people that have gone against their values. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure part of what you are dealing with is a shame piece.
3: Sure. Oh, very much so.
2: trying to get someone out of shame is so difficult.
3: It's very difficult. And that's why. Well, that's where I bring the Brene Brown work in, mm-hmm. is really defining the difference between shame, guilt, guilt yeah. right? Humiliation and embarrassment, really defining what those really mean so that you can understand. Would it. you mind defining them for us today? No? Yeah. So shame is that is that that wash that happens that comes over you that you are flawed, you will never belong, and you will never be loved. You don't speak of it because everyone knows you're a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. Right? Guilt is this very healthy thing that promotes change and remorse. And so we hit the remorse if it's about us, right? We're sorry we did it. And it promotes change because we know it's about our behavior. Instead of, I am a a bad person, I did something stupid, right? So I can see, and who's in charge of your behaviors? You are, right? Humiliation is one of those terrible things. It's a shame. Something shaming happens to you, but you know you don't deserve it, right? You know that it wasn't okay. When Jackie says, you're, you're a shithead, and you're like, Jackie's having a bad day, yeah, right? And we speak up. We, we speak up and say, well, that's not about me, and it's not, but it's also not okay that it happened. But we know we didn't deserve it. So it still feels terrible, but <clears throat> it is something we know that we don't own. But we do own our shame. We think we deserve it, right? And then hum- embarrassment is just, you know, what is it called? America's Funniest Videos, Mm-hmm. It's something that's hilarious. It doesn't feel great in the moment, but it's funny. Right. It happens to all of us. Those simple things you run around with your pants unzipped, or you have food yeah. in your teeth, or you I fall. Say it's,
1: it's not funny today, but it'll be funny tomorrow. Yes,
3: and that's embarrassment. But yeah. if we understand the incredible power that shame has, and we can move it over to guilt and make some changes, right? That's what. That's what I'm trying for. You know, what want people to do is move it over. Have some empathy for yourself. But the problem is, back to the bad things that happen as a children, many of us are shame-based. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right? So it yeah. takes a lot to start healing that. But through the work, that starts to heal too.
2: You know, that's, I, I would say a majority of people that end up going to treatment more than one time, that's one piece that follows them, is shame.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like oh. they haven't overcame the shame. So they revert back to old mm. behaviors. Yes. To numb
0: mm-hmm.
2: those shameful things. Yes. And then they're even more shameful that they didn't succeed. So sure. it, feed, it feeds this. <laughs> see, I told you, right? right? Like I, <laughs> yeah. I told you, I, I am was a, a bad good person. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. I started drinking again yeah. because I was, you know, a piece of shit.
3: Mm-hmm. Like, but see, this is where values comes in. Mm-hmm. If people live their values, even like seventy to eighty percent of the time, they would never need a therapist. Because you're being true to who you want to be. And you can see when, when we when we mess up, we can see, oh, this is just a moment in time, and I don't have to stay in this space.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: There's Values are so powerful.
1: How do we, and again, I, I love, because Ben and I talk about this a lot on this, especially with our curriculum. But if we're talking to people who are listening and say this statement, yes. if they were true to their values, yes, what advice would you give to them? i saying, here's how to do that. Here's mm-hmm. how, you know, you would, you said you wouldn't need a therapist. Okay. Mm-hmm. What, what does that look like?
3: I probably shouldn't Which say is that. No, that's <laughs> a great thing. No, it yeah, it is, most therapists don't yeah. say it, but it's... Oh no, I have a yeah. full group on it, but yeah. yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. What, what advice would you give them saying, Hey, here's, here's how to pull this off.
3: Mm-hmm. So first of all, I would want them to think about what comes naturally to you. Sometimes when we've had trauma, we have forgotten that, but we are born with uh, natural talents, gifts, and values. So I'm kind of using all those words in once because I think a value can be music or art. So some things are really obvious, you can tell, right? Some things are quieter. Some people might have just incredible patience. Some people are adventurers. My granddaughter is an adventurer. She's very hard to keep up with. She's three years old and (laughs) she wears grandma out. Um, So I first ask him, what do you think you were born with? So I was definitely born with discernment, right? It is a very natural gift, all right? And then um, so I asked him to start there. And then I asked him to think about it. Well, what's important to you or what people have come into your life? Um, So I had a very loving gentleman in my life and he exuded love. He never came up and said, Jackie, I love you. But I felt that love from him. And so we have people in the uh, world that maybe we want, oh, I would like to be like them. So you look at what is the value that they're exuding. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I can practice this. This is the thing about values that people don't understand. We think so if that I'm supposed to use my discernment on or for other people, but it's my gift.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's not. Does it, discernment is not judgment. Discernment is my body, my intuition saying, "Oh, there might be some red flags here." Right. That's one form of discernment. It's not judgment. It's not me labeling you're piece of crap. I can't have anything to do with you. It discernment is whoa. There's something going on here. I need to be cautious. Does that make sense? Sure, 100%. It's my gift, yeah. and I'm practicing it. you feel it. like
1: we give that gift away
3: Yes, lot? and that's what we call codependency. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. So if I am a person... So this is what happens. Maybe I want to serve people. I think that... So I have to be careful how I explain this, because it, sometimes it doesn't come across correctly. That means I am serving people, but I'm serving people because that is who I want to be, and I have no expectation that they'll serve me again, back. Mm-hmm. If I am a person who wants to be respectful... I will, teach, I will treat you in respect even if you want to punch me because it's who I want to be. And I have no expectation that you'll be respectful back to me because whose is it? It's mine, right? So I'm practicing it. I'm not asking you to, right? And I'm not teaching you to do it either. It is who I want to be. Just like the gentleman he that exuded love. Like I said, it hit the room before he did it works the same way. Have you ever known anyone that's extremely negative and that negativity hits the room before Mm, they get there? Oh yeah. Right. It's because we've become that. And so our values are what we're supposed to become. But if I have the value of serving and I jump into rescuing instead of serving, then I'm in a codependent relationship and I'm unhealthy. So I've messed my gift up. I tell them, jump back over the fence. If you are someone who wants to serve, you need you need to serve yourself first. I don't mean in a selfish way, but you need to understand what is service. And are you caring for yourself so that it is oozing from your pores? That's what true values mean.
2: Oh, I love that. Does well, it make sense? It's I a little that, complicated. No, it does no, make it. sense. But that means there's a pretty big misconception on, on what they are mm-hmm. a, a majority of the time. Yes, because we think
3: we're for someone else, right? Yeah.
2: So if I'm going to be patient with somebody, like yeah, I'm even looking at my own, right? I would say that. Most likely, I would think that's one of my sure. values is yes. is being patient. But if if that person doesn't return patience, mm-hmm. which is what I expect them to do because I was that to them, mm-hmm. then it's like mm, okay, kind of fuck you a little <laughs> bit, you know. Like that's mm-hmm. that's where it goes to. Mm-hmm, for sure, so.
3: but that's because you want something back,
2: mm-hmm.
3: <clears throat> and that means it's not truly your value. Okay, yeah. that's not true. It's still maybe your value. You're not practicing it correctly. Yeah. Because it's yours. That's the whole point. Yeah. It's yeah. yours, yeah.
2: Well, I think there's also that like treat others how you want to be treated thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe a little bit in our society, we are expecting mm-hmm. that in return.
3: Yes, but it, and but the truth is, is the more you treat someone with kindness, things start to happen. Just oh, yeah. like 100, right? If I'm yeah. Not,
2: yeah. flipping yeah. you off all the time, yep. that's
3: what I'm going to get back. And it's true. It's as simple as road rage. So t- sometimes I'm flipping someone off. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes I'm like, go ahead. And the shock on people's faces when you're like, no, go ahead. Right. They're like, right. oh, thanks. Sure. Right. And that's what it is. And who's choosing that? I am. I don't. They still may flip me off or pull a gun or whatever. Right. But I am choosing to let them in.
1: I think that's a great description of giving your giving your energy away, you know, of, of the road Rage piece. That's a great. That's a great way of looking at this because you're stirring up trouble you're 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 bringing that energy to the table mm-hmm. and they've just received it and they're probably ready to return it
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know especially driving so yes. in in regards to you know the love or the patience or the, the you know the those type of topics i think it's a i think it's a wonderful description of of being true to your values
3: mm-hmm. yeah. and that's what it's really about
2: but do yeah. people even know what their values are
3: no Sometimes they don't. Well, I think people have an idea to that question. That's That's the thing. Then when they start thinking, and of course, I mean, we have stuff in the workbook. We have I have a group about it. Mm -hmm. But even when they just start thinking about it, it's like, oh, yeah. And then what's really nice is after people have lived together in the house for two or three weeks, they can see things in each other and point them out. Right. sometimes they're way off but but it's a it's a start right yeah
1: well I know this is a big piece of the curriculum for the that Ben and I've produced this past year and and when we've taught it it seems very foreign it's and it's a it's a first responder audience but it seems very foreign it, it falls on very I hate to use the word ignorant but the reality is it's it's, it's somewhat just of an new. It, right they they're like what i I've never asked myself that question before. I've never explored this side of who I am. I've not. I've not really invested any energy, or time, effort, and energy into it, that side of me. And the reality is that's one of the keys to our peace and happiness. Is it? Is that fair?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yes. <coughs> Sorry. So the one thing we do is we um, define things incorrectly. So if we take the word respect. The word respect in society versus on the street is something very different. Respect on the street is power and fear. Mm-hmm. Whereas respect in society, well, depends on what society, right. But it's, it's, a, it's a, to hold someone in high regard, right, which is a very, very different thing. And so when I ask people, once they start picking their values or their one word, which is usually based in values, right, mm-hmm. in the word, um, I ask them to define it four different ways. First of all, go to the dictionary, Right, because we usually have our own definition, and we're usually off, right? But go to the dictionary. I tell them, go there first, and then I'm like, now look it up in different languages, especially the dead languages, which is biblical, Hebrew, Greek, Latin, because they have, theirs. that's what it really means, right? That's what the word means. And then I tell them to work it up and look it up in psychological terms, which you can literally take a word and say... What is the definition in psychological terms, right? And then I ask them to look at a spiritual book. Whatever it does, it can be the Bible, it can be dharma, it can be Tao, it can be whatever they want. Because in spiritual terms, it means something too. So you get this word, and now you have this incredible definition of what it means. Because we're like the we're always working with perfection, right? I have to do it perfectly. Oh, yeah. Well, the word perfection does not mean to be without flaw. I don't know when or how that got changed, but if you look in the Greek in and the, and the biblical Hebrew and Latin and all that, it means to be whole. That has nothing to do with, with being without flaw. It means to be whole. It means to complete and finish. That's what that word means. Wow. So your wholeness and completeness, isn't it different than mine? Sure. Yeah. Because you have different talents, you have different purpose, you have different meaning, all of it, right? You have a different childhood, you have a different adulthood. So I always give the examples. I give everybody a balloon. They're all different colors. They're all different sizes. They have different shapes. If I give you a big blue one, right, this big, huge one, and you get this little yellow one, now that, you know, the crinkly long ones, mine's pink, if we all blow them up, are they complete? Mm-hmm. Yes. Do they look the same? No. Hmm. Have they com- what I call finished their work? Yeah, I blew them up.
2: I want to talk. Sorry, well, No, I was going to say, uh, Sammy and I did something really cool where – uh, it's either Chinese or Japanese culture where you you take a broken bowl
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then with the you gold. with the gold and then you you put it back together mm-hmm. with gold and it's supposed to you know signify that things that are broken yes can be made more beautiful yes right have you done I can't something remember like what you? No. it's called no, but it's so I, I, cool. it has a name and I can't think of yeah, it right now amazing. yeah but it, that's same it's same beautiful. general concept right which is you made something completely broken and useless quote unquote into. Mm-hmm something that is worth and valued 10 times more than what it just was.
1: And I think that that's a great segue to, I was going to kind of try to tie some of this into the first responder service mindset, Yes, kind of prompt you on that's where I'm going to go. But I want to back up and point out something that you said, you said uh, respect is mm-hmm. holding one in high regard. If That's we,
3: one of the definitions. Yes. Well, the most it, typical, but, it,
1: but it's fascinating because I think if you put self respect in there, mm-hmm. that, That kind of hits it even harder, doesn't it? Now Mm -hmm. you're holding self in high regard. Yeah.
3: And that's not ego.
1: Yeah. Do we do that? Do we know how to do that? No. Right?
0: No.
1: So, so (laughs) I I just, I think it's a fascinating (laughs) conversation. So, so tying some of this value belief and knowing how to serve properly, correctly, adequately, and healthy first responders seem to like just. Here I am, I have to give all of myself, and mm-hmm. you see this because you're working with them a lot. What, what what comes to mind when I start talking about things like that, if, or what have you seen maybe mm-hmm. in this so out of balance of just completely giving their gifts and talents away?
3: Mm-hmm. I love it because you said, I'm giving of myself. I think we give of ourselves, but we're not really giving of ourselves. When we're, when we're healthy in our values, we can emanate them and we don't lose anything because we can offer what we have in support, but I don't have, but I don't have to go into your journey. I don't, you don't have to suck anything from me. We get, the things get sucked from us because we don't have boundaries. We think that we're supposed to actually give of ourselves. It's another I wanna, dirty word. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yep. yeah. I want to be careful of that word because we are giving of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I, but... We're not supposed to be slicing off pieces.
1: Well, I think when you when you say, you know, I live a life of service,
3: mm-hmm.
1: the the balance and boundaries of that become so skewed that now the life of service is I just have to give everything about mm-hmm. who I am, including family, mm-hmm. personal life, all of it away. Yes. And no. that doesn't have to be
2: that
3: way. No. Big sentence. No. It's full right. blown.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you think There's about. There's the Jackie.
1: I
3: know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Think about somebody who gets sober, right? Like I was having this conversation last night. So one of my friends, uh, their mother, asked – they met somebody at a store who was like, oh, I'm in early recovery. And then they're like, oh, my child will take you to meetings and do all this and you know, show you and introduce you to all these people. And they were upset. They're like, why would my mom do that? And I'm like, because at one point when you first got sober, you said, all I want to do is give this gift back to somebody else. All I want to do is help somebody else get sober, stay sober, do all this stuff. You're now – seven, eight years in the future and you've created a boundary to how much you can give, but everyone else thinks that you still are in a spot right where you were at the beginning. Does that make sense? hmm mm-hmm. And correlate that to work for first responders, mm-hmm. right? When they first start, start, how gung-ho were you? You're going to save the world. Well, I do think there's a
1: skewed training that comes along with it that – and I don't know where that finite piece is, but – you Know Gil Martin talks a lot in it in his hypervigilance, uh, book Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement about how we over invest, mm-hmm. and some of that is training, some of that is receiving it improperly, and not really having good boundaries already established as mm-hmm. to what those, uh, what those, what we're willing to give of ourselves or what we're willing to say no to. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a I had an old crusty lieutenant one time tell me, he said, uh, you, you will for the rest of your life be defined by what you say no to. And I did at the time, I didn't realize how big a statement that actually was, you know, but the older I get, the more
0: mm-hmm.
3: it
1: grows to, wow, how truly deep that statement was.
3: I don't think we understand what boundaries are. We think that we're setting a boundary with like against someone, I guess. Right. Boundaries are actually our boundaries. So boundaries are, they're mental, they're emotional, they're physical, they're social boundaries, they're mm-hmm. spiritual boundaries. And what I mean by that is we are deciding what we allow in our head, in our heart, or you know, physically. I mean, this, we have lots of social boundaries. Why do we have stoplights? Why do we have thou shall not kill, right? We have spiritual boundaries, <clears throat> and the spiritual boundaries are a little bit harder because they're very sacred to us. And so we get we can, when someone insults our boundary... Or says something against us, we can like cringe and die. But boundaries or blow up. Blow up. But boundaries aren't about you; they're about me. Mm-hmm. So if my boundary is I'm not gonna I'm not going to allow you to speak to me a certain way, or I'm not I'm you're not gonna be part of my life, or I mean cause those are some of the drastic mm-hmm. ones. Boundaries are, if if you're treating me poorly, my boundary is whether I'm going to say something back, I'm going to walk away, or just not let you in my head and heart. It's not about, here's the boundary, don't pass it. It's my boundary. I have Mm -hmm. no control whether you're going to do anything about it, but my response to that is mine. So sometimes I'll just sit there and like, you can say whatever you want, I don't really care. Or I may say, I don't like the way you're speaking to me, or whatever, or you're just not part of my life. Right, so that's very that's a physical one, but they're sure. not about. I'm not setting a boundary at Austin. Right, these are my boundaries. So, however,
1: because they often often are received as punishment. Yes, like you're setting a boundary because I did something wrong. Yeah, yeah. Instead of looking at it, you're setting a boundary because you're trying to keep yourself safe yeah. and healthy.
3: A boundary is this is okay with me, this is not. Sure. But people don't understand that, or they set really. They're like, well. Like in what do we hear? I don't, I'm not going to group. That's my boundary. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not yeah, they a boundary. weaponize it. Yeah. yeah people they weaponize,
2: weaponize boundaries. Yes. But yeah. that starts as a kid.
1: was actually just thinking about as a childhood, you're pushing mom's boundaries all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, don't do this, don't do that. You something you said made me think about, you know, it's mom's home. She gets to set the boundaries. And then as kids, we push it. <laughs> yeah. You know? mm-hmm.
3: Well, and that's about autonomy and experience and things like that. And so a good mom would be guiding. Mm-hmm. But usually we're tired, and so then sure. we're punishing instead. Well, I'm
1: not p- picking on moms. I'm yeah. thinking about my personal. No, it's you know, perfect. My mom slapped me when I was 16 because I said a cuss word, mm. and you know, that was her boundary. And
3: <laughs> it was I, a very physical boundary. It was a
2: very physical boundary. <laughs> yeah. I told my mom to shut up when I was 10. Dad came. How'd that work out? <laughs> it did not work out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was dad's boundary. Oh
0: that was yeah. dad's boundary. Yeah. But
3: it, to understand that they're ours and that we can't place sure. them on someone, but sure. it's how we respond, Right. Yeah. So keep in mind, um, in the codependency world, there's a giver and a taker. Once the giver starts, stops the giving and starts setting boundaries with the taker, they're going to freak out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's hard to get, it's really hard to heal. Sometimes if you're the giver and the taker, you have to get away from the taker, you know, before you can actually heal. And, (laughs) but yeah. So yeah, Mm -hmm. if you've been a taker and someone sets boundaries, not happy.
1: Well, it's pretty easy to think in grandioso terms, but I think it you know, going back to these being true to your values and being true to your beliefs. Um, I think boundaries on a smaller scale of just healthy, keeping yourself at peace and, you know, this, this, um, you know, equilibrium at, at, at a constant, cause mm-hmm. life's going to happen anyway. So if you, if you have this crazy happenings, especially for first responders. Mm -hmm. If you get into some trauma events, doesn't matter if it's big D or little D. I know we don't like that, (laughs) but you know, if your boundaries are upset, then, uh, you know, your life's going to start getting in disarray. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another problem is we make up our own rules of what life should be this way. It's supposed to be that way. The truth is life is unfair and we're not going to change it. This natural law of opposition isn't going anywhere. Right, we don't have any power over this natural law of opposition, which is up, down, good, bad, evil, righteous, whatever. Mm-hmm. And if we can have more acceptance that yeah, life is unfair, right? And but I can respond any way I want. We will find more peace. But we're constantly it should be this way. Like this is to, I'm old, right? I'm a mom of five. I have five grandchildren. Of course, it's like no, my children aren't supposed to leave or die before me, right? right. Well, no, oh, I hate to tell you, but we're all leaving the earth. Why do you have rules on how we're leaving the earth? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, but sure these, does. our own rules get us in so much trouble. Right. And because you're not living the way I want you to, Austin, yeah. Brad, these are my rules. Right. 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 And so we're miserable, but the life is unfair.
1: I think that's one of the greatest things that A-, A has done for me is that it's given me this you know, renewed sense of okay, I don't have the control I thought I had over any of this. Mm-hmm. But what I do have control over is not flipping them off when they're <laughs> driving down the road or, you know, this this uh, letting somebody in mm-hmm. that is crossing a boundary of a value or belief of mine that it, it's been, yeah, it's been really good. So this has been an absolute wonderful conversation. And if we wrap this up a little bit, I, I really want to give you the opportunity to, we're going to, because of of, um, we've been through some really great conversation and we talked about how do you stay true to your values? But if there were like Jackie tips for staying healthy, you know, and don't be an asshole. I don't know. I
2: don't know. It's a great tip. Maybe You gave me that tip, by the way, (laughs) a couple of years ago.
1: But, but first responders in, in some of their, their work and, and they're not, you know, they're not, doing well would would you refer them to maybe hey look at your inner child or would you uh refer them to therapy to do inner child work or because i know it's icky but you know a lot of our listeners they're tuned in because they like hearing this and they don't have you know they're not at the point where i need to go to chateau but they Mm -hmm. like i'm hurting sure and you know what where would you steer them and kind of culminating the whole conversation up into
3: I, the biggest thing is be teachable.
1: Oh, well, that's right. You, yeah. Be
3: teachable and try new things. No matter how scary, like come to this podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of you for doing this. So proud, but yeah.
3: I want you to, yeah, it is be teachable yeah. because when we are teachable, some people use the word be humble, but to be humble means to be teachable. It doesn't mean a lot of times what we think it means. Right. It is to be teachable. So trust, someone who knows what they're talking about. Trust someone who's already gone through a process, right? Trust, if someone, you, like if they're coming to you, trust Brad and what he's saying because you have done the work, right? Trust it, right? Don't trust those that haven't done the work. (laughs) That's great. She
1: did trust me to come over here and sit down and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is that too far of a fetched statement, Jackie? No, this has been great. This has been an absolute wonderful conversation. Uh, We've we've talked about some great things, fascinating things. And once again, uh, if this has cued in any of the listeners to want to ask more questions or dive in deeper to any of the topics that we've talked about, please don't uh, hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, through the website or through our uh, social media channels. Jackie, thank you so much for coming on.
4: Chateau Health and Wellness is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Health and Wellness is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to ChateauRecovery.com or call 888-507-5031.